We're turning this morning to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We'll read together again, verses 1 through to 10. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through to 10. Let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. For those online, the words will come on screen. If you can get a copy of your own Bible, then please turn to the place appointed for reading. If you would like a Bible, contact us and we'll be happy to supply you free of charge. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupience, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now this morning we are continuing with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. And today my text is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now I've entitled the message today, The Blessedness of the Christian's Union with Christ. And at this time, I want to set before you four blessed truths that we have in Christ. Now, we have many more wonderful things to enjoy by virtue of being united with Christ. <coughs> we could make a very long list. And we could discover a list of endless things, a list that we could keep adding to. Remember the hymn writer, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And that's a great antidote for discouragement. I've had to do that this week because when you're discouraged, I remember it's written in 1 Samuel 30 verse 5, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves is begin to think of the things that God has done for us. Begin to think of the things that we have in Christ. And therefore, we could think of many things. And I want you, if you're discouraged, you think of those things that you have in Christ. But this morning, we're just going to focus on four things from this text of Scripture. Now, here's the first thing. The blessedness of a new life in Christ. It says in our text, for ye are dead and your life. Now, now, what does this mean when the Bible says, 
for ye are dead. Did that mean that the Colossians were dead physically? No. You've got to pause. You've got to ponder. Remember that the Lord Jesus actually lived a real life in a real body in real time. And we read in the scriptures, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You think of the Lord Jesus living in time. He's died. He's buried. He's rose again from the dead. He appears on the earth for 40 days to his disciples. And then he, he ascends to heaven out of their sight. And he's seated, the Bible tells us, at the right hand of God. And that all happened to Christ literally, really happened. It happened to Christ, we would say, historically. And it, it happened to Christ historically as a public person. Christ did this as the federal head of his covenant people. Whenever he died on the cross, remember, we died in him. And when he rose again from the dead, we rose up in him. When he ascended to heaven, we ascended in him. When he is now seated in heaven at God's right hand, we are also seated in him. And all the Christians in Colossae are already amongst those that are dead and buried in Christ. And it's no longer that they live, but that Christ lives in them to the glory of God. And what was true of Christ historically is also true experimentally. Every true believer from the moment he or she is born again of the Holy Ghost, that believer has a new life in Christ. In other words, their sins are fully pardoned on the ground of the blood. They have a full and free justification, a legal standing with which to stand before God. They are, they are promised a home in heaven. They, they are dead to themselves. They're, they're, they're dead to sin. They're, they're dead to the condemnation of the law. They're, they're dead to the world that's, that's governed by sin. They, they have been born again. And, and they have entered into a new life with Christ. In other words, they've been engrafted into Christ by his spirit. And they're living a new life in this world. And that new life in this world is bound up in the bundle of living in and with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's a new life. Now, that's different from turning over a new leaf. It's not adopting a, a new set of resolutions. It's not about being a, a stoic and just gritting your teeth and, and trying to be different and trying harder to be good and righteous. No, a true Christian has entered into a new life. That is, he's, he's died to the old life and he's now alive unto God. And that new life, we're telling you, is in Christ. It's the ending of the old life and the beginning of a new. Remember Jesus said, John 10 and 10, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. You see, once you were spiritually blind, 
But now you can see clearly. You can see the Savior, the Lamb of God. You can see your sin for what it is. You you can see that you've got a soul, a soul that's precious, more precious than this whole world put together. You see and understand something of the, the great wonder of God's salvation. You're once dead, dead to God, sin, soul, salvation, the Savior. You couldn't have cared less. Like Galileo, you cared for none of these things. But now you're alive to God. Now you're alive to Christ, the Bible, your, your sin, salvation. Why? What has happened? Ephesians 2 and 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Once you were far off, far from God. But now you belong to him. Now you're in Christ. And you discover something that's real. All that happened to Christ in his life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension happened to you because you're one of his people. You're one of his covenant children because you're in Christ. So what I'm saying this morning is this. What happened to Christ historically is also true of what is happening experimentally to God's people. And it's not mind-blowing. That's why Paul could say, Now, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. And here's the question this morning. Have you got this new life in Christ? Are you enjoying this new life today? Are you living this new life, a life now, eternal life? You possess eternal life now if you're in Christ. Over there in John chapter 3, verse 16, remember we read the words, we quote it so often, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. It begins now. The moment you receive Christ, you get a new life in Christ. And that new life in Christ brings us up to the realities of heaven. Let me illustrate. I want you to think of a church in England, we small evangelical church, something similar to carried off FPC numerically. And one evening, a man walked in. He was in his late 40s. He was a total stranger. Nobody knew him. And he comes right up to the front and, and he sits on the second pew from the front. Now, that's unusual because people who come into the church for the first time usually sit at the very back, right? But <coughs> he did the same thing the next Lord's Day evening. <coughs> he missed the next two Sundays. Nobody thought anything of it. And then he came back this time, but he came back on the Sunday morning and he took his place in the second pew. He was back on the Sunday evening <coughs> and he came again. And he was coming for about six months. And eventually he he came into the prayer meeting. And then he he turned up at the Bible study with a Bible under his arm. And one Wednesday night he he prayed in the prayer meeting. And then after about eight months, he, he said to the pastor going out of the prayer meeting, could we have a little chat? And the pastor said, yes. He said, I want to talk to you about getting baptized. Now, Now, what had happened to that man? I'll tell you what had happened to that man. That man had got converted. That man had a new life in Christ. He now had a new love. 
He now had new values. He now had new goals and pursuits. The pastor eventually called at the man's home. Now, the wife wasn't saved. She was not a born-again Christian. And the pastor asked her this. What do you think of your husband's new life? And she said, Pastor, he's a new man. He's always going on about it. He's, he's now happy and content. He's a different husband. He has a peace now and an assurance. And that's something that I do not have. You see, what had happened to that man? Well, what happened to that man happened to you. He was, as it were, died to the old life. The old life was buried. The old life was in the past. He now has a, a new life in Christ. He's converted. And what is true of this man is true of what has happened in the life of every true born-again believer in Christ. A Christian living in the newness of life in Christ. The heart belongs to Christ. His, his heart was no longer set on the world or the things of the world. He, he, he sees now that he's a, a citizen of not only England or the United Kingdom, but, but a citizen of heaven. And it's like now he's a stranger in the world and a stranger to its ways and its ethos, a stranger to its lifestyle. Why? Because his heart's in heaven. Samuel Rutherford said, since Christ has looked upon me, my heart is not its own. He has run away to heaven with it and it affects my whole life. Listen to that again. Since Christ has looked upon me, that's in a saving way. My heart is not its own. Why? Because Christ has given me a new heart. And he's taken that new heart to heaven with him. And it affects my whole life. Remember Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and in the verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's the first blessedness. The, the second one is this, the blessedness of a changed life in Christ. Now, look again at our text. It says, for ye are dead, and your life is. Now, now we'll pause. Is that not a bit of a riddle? Is that not a bit of a, a contradiction to our mind? How can you be dead and yet have life? What does dead mean? You see, when we read the word dead, we think of death physically. But I want you to think of this. You see, the word dead doesn't mean extinct. It doesn't mean a cessation of existence. It means a separation. And when you die physically, your soul is separated from your body. That's what death is. Nineteen times in the scripture you read about death being a giving up of the ghost. In other words, giving up of the spirit. The, the soul leaves the body. There's a separation. And if you're in union with Christ in his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, it not only means that you have a new life in Christ, but it means you have a changed life. You're, you're now separated from the power of sin. 
You're, you're separated from this present evil world. You're, you're now a citizen of a new country, namely heaven. And you don't have to obey the sinful laws of this old world. Remember we gave an illustration one time about a man coming from Africa. That man lived in, we say, Johannesburg. And I'm only making this up. And let's suppose in Johannesburg there was a 6 p.m. curfew. What does that mean? It means that everybody had to be indoors on the orders of the government by 6 p.m. And anybody that was out roaming the streets without a good reason could be arrested and put into jail and tried for breaking the law. Well, suppose that man has moved to the United States of America. We'll say he went to New York. Let's say that that man has got a green card to live and work in America. That man has now American citizenship. He's got an American passport. And here he is in New York and he looks at his watch and it's almost two or three minutes to six and he gets into a panic and he runs to the taxi stand and says to the taxi man, take me home quick. I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to go to jail. What's, what's he panicking about? What's he worried about? Why? Because he's in a new country. He's now a citizen of a different country, a citizen of that new country. And that means he's no no longer under the laws of that old country, Africa and Johannesburg. Those laws do not apply. He's now free to stay out after 6 p.m. Do you get the picture? We are citizens of the United Kingdom. We're under its laws, its protections and its rights. But in Christ, not only are we citizens of the country in which we were born, but in Christ, we are citizens of heaven. And regardless of what your citizenship is on earth, if you're in Christ, you have a more important citizenship. In Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. And you're now governed By a different set of values, a different set of laws, laws from heaven. You see, that's why the apostles could say in Acts chapter 4, remember the healing of the man at the temple. And Peter was able to say this to them when they told them not at all to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto men, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, what he was saying, we're citizens of heaven. And we ought to obey the laws of heaven. And the laws of heaven Command us to preach and teach in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we know that Christians are governed by the laws of the land. But we're also governed by the law of heaven. And whenever the state asks or tells the Christian to do things or say things or think things. That are contrary to the laws of heaven. Contrary to the laws of God. Then the Christian must refuse. He must stand forth like Peter and John and say, we ought to obey God rather than men. Anything that violates our conscience, anything that mars our testimony, anything that disobeys the Lord, anything that's contrary to the Lord's commandments, 
then we're released from the obligation to obey the law of our homeland because we're citizens of heaven. We're under the higher law of heaven. Now let me just add this little bit. We live in a day when our United Kingdom government has introduced what we're calling hate laws. They've introduced equality legislation. They've introduced diversity legislation. Suppose, for example, that the United Kingdom government insists that we as a church allow people of a homosexual nature into membership. They come and tell us there's nobody in your church of that uh, ilk. And because there's nobody there, we are ordering you to allow people of that ilk to come into membership. Or suppose they, they come to us and say, you, you, you've got some toilet blocks out there, male and female and disabled, but, but, but you, have, you have nothing for the, the transgender group. And you need to supply a, a transgender bathroom or restroom. Or suppose they come and we be, be a wee bit more forceful and say, look, you're not to preach any sermons on, on homosexuality. Or you're not to preach about the evil of abortion being murder. Or you're not to preach about hell. We would have to say to the government, and I want to tell you, I'll say it on your behalf. And you, I expect, stand with me beside me. We will say politely to the government in a very respectable way that it's only God's law that applies over this church and over our lives. And all that we say and do is governed by that rule because the Bible is a rule of faith and practice. We are citizens of the UK, but we're also citizens of heaven. And only God's law applies as far as his church and our lives is concerned. Did you ever hear the story of Pilgrim and Faithful? They went to a place called Vanity Fair. It sold all sorts of wares. It's a picture of this world. These two men were different in their clothing. And the Christian ought to be different in his dress. They were different in their speech. And the Christian ought to be different in his speech. They were different in behavior, and the Christian ought to be different in behavior. They didn't want anything to do with the arts and crafts and entertainments of Vanity Fair. They wanted to get out of it as fast as they could, but they had to go through it as they went to the celestial city. And one man came up to Christian or pilgrim or unfaithful and said this, what will you buy? They said, we buy the truth. And I get into an argument. Faithful was arrested. They tried him in the court. They, they found him guilty. Do you know what they did if you read Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress? They burnt him at the stake. And, and Christian, he was released to go on his journey. But he had to go on without faithful. And faithful was faithful unto death. Do you know what the Bible says? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And all things are of God. And in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2 and 20, remember Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Do you see the same connection? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me ask this. Are you dead to all that has passed? Are you alive now? To all that's in the future. 
You see, this is the proper assessment. This has to be the mindset of the Christian. I am dead now to this world. But I have a new life in Christ. And therefore, because I have a new life in Christ, I'm not going to hanker after the old life. Before I was converted, I loved the old life. I lived for it. But now, like Solomon, it's all vanity. It's all empty. How many could truthfully say, I used to love those things? And if we ask the gambler, or we ask the drunkard, or we ask the, the person who curses and swears and blasphemes, the person that steals, the, the person that argues and fights, the, the person that murders, and you're now in Christ, you have a new life, you're, you're a changed man, you're transformed, what would they tell us? Well, I wish I hadn't done those things. They, they would tell us, I wasted enough time and energy. I was zealous for the old life, but now I'm different, and I don't want to go back. I, I, I couldn't go back, despite being tempted, yes, despite being uh, pulled by the sway of the world, despite the world's allurements. I'm no longer giving myself to that wickedness. I'm no longer giving myself to the ways of the world. I, I, I'm dead to that. I have new life in Christ. The third blessedness is this. The blessedness of a hidden life in Christ. Look at our text. When Christ who is our, for, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Can you see that? The blessedness of a hidden life in Christ. You see, this new changed life in Christ is a hidden life. Think of the word hidden. Your, your, your life is hid with Christ and God. What does that mean? It means it's a secret thing. It's something that has taken place in the innermost part of your soul. The, the word hid here has to do with the idea of a crypt. Think of the crypt being the lowest part of the building. Life in Christ, hidden in Christ, means something that can be secretive, something that's mysterious, not something that you fully grasp or, or something that you fully understand. If I was to ask you, how much do you really understand about the Christian life? God, the personal work of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, heaven and hell, the Bible. The reality is we know so little, and I want to tell you humbly, this preacher knows so little. And if I live for a hundred years, and 365 days per year. And I was to meditate and grasp and study all of these things. It wouldn't be long enough to discover all the secrets that are in Christ. And you see, I'll tell you something else. The ungodly can't understand us. The person who's not saved. You see, they asked, well, how could you believe in God that you don't see? And, and how can you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? How, how do you know he's real? And how can you believe in heaven and hell? And how can you stick to the Bible? You're always saying the Bible says. Why do you say that? Why do you not say Shakespeare says or, 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 or Milton says? Why do you pray? And, and you pray in a room by yourself. You pray in a room with other people. And you're just praying. You're talking. You say you're talking to someone. But you can't see that someone. How can you pray? How could you go to two services every Sunday? How could you bring your children to a children's meeting? How could you come to the prayer meeting? How can you, you study the Bible? 
Why do you go to conferences? Here's the answer. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. There's a secret mystery to the Christian life that you cannot fully grasp, and the ungodly certainly can't fully grasp. Let me tell you something else. It's a secure thing. You see, hid with Christ has to do with treasure. And you would put treasure in the most secure place in your house. Think of how secure we are. Remember what we read there in John's gospel. In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus said this as he was dealing with the um, shepherd and the sheep analogy. He says in John chapter 10, listen to these words. Verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You're, you're doubly secure. What is he saying here? I give unto them, those that trust me and receive me as Lord and Savior, I give them eternal life now. Not only life, but eternal life. Life to the full. And more than that, they'll never ever perish. They'll never be in hell. And where I am, they will be. Because they're in me. And, and added to that, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. It's not a secure thing that your hand's in the hand of the Savior. And where's the Savior's hand? It's in the hand of the Father. My Father which given me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Do you know many have faced martyrdom? Many have faced persecution. Many have faced opposition. And I want to just add this before we finish. The church of Jesus Christ in the United Kingdom is going to face in a period of intense persecution and opposition. The seeds are already sown. And they're going to take away our freedoms. And there will come a day when they'll be knocking on the door of the church and they'll be telling us what not to say and what not to do. And in that day, we're going to have to stand together. And it'll be stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. One of the early martyrs was a man called Ignatius of Antioch. A couple of years ago, Brother George brought me a, a lovely reading book, uh, Daily Devotions from the Early Church Fathers. And this is what Ignatius of Antioch said whenever he was being put to death. He was a Christian martyr. He was a bishop of Antioch. That's where they were first called Christians. Ye take from me a life I cannot keep. But you confer in me a life that I cannot lose. The life in heaven. You take from me a life I cannot keep. But you confer in me a life I cannot lose. A life with Christ in heaven. Remember what the Apostle Paul says, and this is a beautiful text of Scripture. 2 Timothy 2 and 12, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The blessedness of a life hid in Christ. One final thing, and our time is gone. The blessedness of a revealed life in Christ. Look at our text. If you go back to Colossians, what does it tell us there? In verse 4, it tells us additional information. And remember, we're speaking about our union with Christ. It tells us this. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. What's that about? 
That's about the second coming of Christ. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Now, now, let me make it clear. Our Christian life is not an extension of Christ's life. Even though we're in Christ, Christ and the Christian are not one in essence. Christ is one with the Father in essence, but he's not one with his people in essence. So, so, so it, 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 it's not about that. It's about Christ being the source of our life. Christ being the pattern of our life. Christ being the goal of our life. When Christ who is our life shall appear, that refers to his second coming. And there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will be manifested again to this world. His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives and he'll come to set up his everlasting kingdom. He shall appear. And what does the text say? Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We will be with him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? Those that are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air when he comes. Body and soul of those that are dead will be reunited and resurrected and will be with Christ forever. And that's the, the end goal. That the final goal of God's great salvation, the blessedness of a revealed life in Christ. In other words, eternity will reveal it all. All that are in Christ shall appear with Christ in glory. That's a blessed truth. It'll be fully revealed on that day. Let me ask as we finish, have you that hope? Have you that assurance I trust that you have. And I trust this morning, if you haven't, if you're not in Christ, nothing of a new life, a changed life, a hid life, nothing of the assurance of a revealed life in the world to come, then we pray that you'll seek Christ, whom to know is life eternal.